Good morning and welcome to the Black Pill Radio Show. I'm your host, Mr. Tyler, and today we are discussing teaching while black. Um, We're going to be discussing about a book that has been written and a documentary that is in production. Um, And when we talk about that term teaching while while black, what exactly does that mean? So I have two guests who are on a panel today and they're going to discuss that first question. But first, I'm going to have them introduce themselves briefly. And then after that, we'll go into the question. So Pamela, we'll start with you first. Hi, guys. So my name is Pamela Lewis. Um, I've been teaching in New York City. This is my 16th year teaching. Um, I've taught all kinds of subject matters in both special education and general education, elementary school through high school. Um, so I have you know, lots of different experiences. Um, and I wrote the book because uh, basically through the different schools that I've taught in, I've noticed that there's... Um, predominantly white, uh, typically women who teach in predominantly black and brown schools. And I just felt like I needed to express my particular point of view in respect to some of the things that happen within our education system. Excellent. And we'll get deeper into that. So now let's introduce Leticia. Good morning. My name is Leticia Dickerson. I'm a Chicago native, as well as an educator in the area um, term documentary filmmaker. Um, I have um, a little over two decades of experience working with Chicago's public schools, first as a teacher, then as a new teacher coach, and currently as an independent educational consultant. I am the director and producer of a docuseries called Teaching While Black that explores what it means to be a black teacher in Chicago's public school. Excellent. So let's answer the question, um, teaching while black. Pamela, what does that mean when you say teaching while black? Right. Well, for me, when I wrote my memoir, um, it has a few different um, connections and reasons as to why I made the title so. So obviously the obvious being that I am black or black woman and so it's about my experiences teaching while black um you know the different things that has happened to me and as a result of in my opinion being african-american in the school system um but also it means what it it's basically how i see what i bring to the table so because i am african-american because i am from the community in which i serve I feel like I have a certain um, gift, I guess you would say, a certain point of view, um, a certain connectivity to the children that other teachers from other, you know, areas that come into our communities don't have. So it's not just about my experience, but also what it means to be a black woman from the community who happens to teach in this community. So that's basically where it came from. And Leticia, your documentary, Teaching While Black, um, what does that mean, like the title of that? Um, What it means for the documentary is, I guess I need to start kind of with a statistic. Um, Chicago in the last um, couple of decades has experienced a sharp decline in the number of black teachers in Chicago public schools. 
Um, around 2,040% of the teachers in our district were African American. By um, 2017, we're at 2%. And that definitely um, is alarming, is a problem. And thinking about my own departure from full-time classroom teaching, I wanted to take an opportunity to explore um, those stories and the reasons why this was happening. Um, Chicago is a very segregated city, so when you have black schools, um, you have schools that are hyper-majority um, minority. So if you have a school that's in a black neighborhood, more than likely it's all black students, and there were a time that mostly they were all black teachers. Um, so I just really wanted to take a moment to think about and unpack what was needed to help retain black teachers in the classroom. So through the stories of five teachers, um, I'm exploring five different possible reasons why we may be losing teachers um, here from the classroom. So, um, so that's kind of what teaching while black means what it means for me. I'm just giving an opportunity and a platform for current educators to tell their stories and to illuminate reasons why they stay and reasons why they might not stay. So Pamela, when you were working on your memoir and putting together the book, um, what was the feedback like mm -hmm. from fellow teachers and the administration? Um, well, of course, uh, the feedback varied depending on who was uh, reading the book. I've gotten lots of trolls, as expected. <laughs> um, but, you know, I wrote it, and, you know, basically my intention was, for the most part, to just have on record a memoir that was written by an African-American woman who was from the community, because I noticed that there were lots of memoirs coming out from white teachers about their experiences teaching black and brown children. So I wrote it just so that there could actually be um, on record something coming from someone like my, myself. Um, and with that said, I was very unapologetic about it. So I knew that there would be people that would not agree with what I was saying or would feel, you know, some level of would, would possibly be on the defensive to some extent. But I did so knowing that and knowing that it didn't matter to me. Um, I also wrote it for other teachers of color because I knew I wasn't the only one going through what I was going through. So I wanted it to resonate with them just so that they knew that they weren't alone. Um, but there has been a handful, I would say, of non-people of color who really um, was able to digest the book and were very grateful for me writing it. Um, but at the same time, those types of individuals, I would expect to have that kind of reaction because they were already open-minded white people. Um, so it's not like I wanted to change the minds of certain people. I was very much open with knowing that certain people would not like what I have to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> so um, there was very much, um, you know, two different reactions, I would say, that I got um, from both people of color and non-people of color. So can you tell us um, a little bit or give us a snippet from the book that is important for parents 
because right now parents are about to send their kids to school in New York City public school system Mm -hmm. this coming week. And based on your teaching experience in the New York City public school system, um, what advice or one piece of advice would you give to the parents entering a child into the school system this year? Absolutely. So one thing I would definitely say is to make sure that you're always an advocate for your child. I know that um, in my experience, I've seen several cases in which parents felt some level of inadequacy, even stepping foot into the school because of either preconceived notions sometimes or because of the, the way that they've been treated by either administration or other teachers. And that either may have made them not want to be as involved as they needed to be or, um, you know, in some cases they were involved, but they were, you know, they always had like an adverse reaction to the system in general. Um, And basically I feel like it's the responsibility of the teachers and the administration to win them over. Um, Sometimes parents can be very difficult. I'm not going to lie. But Knowing that, that's why you need to have a certain staff and an administration who's willing to go above and beyond to get the trust that they need from the parents because it takes a village, as we all say, right? It's not like it's going to be something that we can do on our own as educators because we need their, you know, we need them. Um, But at the same time, it's our job to make sure that they feel comfortable the same way that it's our job to make sure that the the actual children feel comfortable. Um, So I would just advise parents to just constantly be an advocate for their child um, and make sure that regardless of their feelings about their teachers or the the school itself, that they always put their children first, whatever that means. So don't say, okay, well, I can't stand this teacher because this teacher, this teacher might be a problem, but if so, then that doesn't mean that you need to step away. You know, there has to be something that the school, maybe the school can have some kind of um, conflict resolution situation between you and the teacher. Whatever it is that they need to do, they need to do it for you, but never step away because of the fact that you, you know, are butting heads with administration or with the, um, the uh, you know, with, with the staff. You're, maybe you have a particular teacher that you don't like. You always should always put your children first. That, that would be my, like my main thing because I realized that a lot of times that it's because of the way that these parents are feeling that makes them step away. So. Got it. So parents, make sure you step up and be involved in your child's life from day one when it comes to the public school system, whether it be the teacher or the administration. Um, you got to stay involved. Leticia, I want to come to you about the documentary. I know it's a work in progress and you're still building on to it. But what has the feedback been so far from school staff as well as school administrators and even the parents? Wow, definitely. Um, Overall, the feedback has been um, overwhelmingly positive. Um, The teachers that are participating in it are excited and definitely wanting to move forward. Um, Parents. That people that I know that are parents with children in CPS have definitely had aha moments and having an opportunity to kind of hear these inner dialogues that teachers, I mean, not just black teachers, I mean, just teachers in general have made public or put on camera, um, I think have made parents more empathetic 
to what happens um, during the course of a school day and all the decisions that teachers have to make for those 30 or 35 students that are sitting in front of them. As far as administrators and district officials, um, that's what I'm working towards. The schools that I've been in, um, administrators have responded very positively, have given me um, unprecedented just the access that they have given me to their schools and to the teachers that I'm following has been um, awesome. However, um, you know, Chicago is a large school district. I think we're the third or the fourth. It kind of goes back and forth school district in the nation. And the Chicago public schools and the charter schools in the city want to control their narrative. So it's been for me as a filmmaker and as an educator who worked with a lot of different schools and some of these schools in different capacities, it's been an interesting dance of back and forth of um, figuring out what access means as a documentary filmmaker who happens to also be an educator. Um, a lot of relationship building, a lot of trust building, and I think um, me coming from the background of being an educator definitely helps that. Um, ideally, I would want just full access and permissions to do what we're doing. Um, but as you know, as a filmmaker, I'm, I'm working towards that. So still trying to build that district and um, administrator relationship and trust around the project. So there's a, a great documentary on stars. It's called America to me. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it, but mm -hmm. there, it's a documentary that's taking place in the uh, Chicago school, school system at one particular school. I think it's called Oak Park. Um, and they're talking about a lot of the racial tensions and the racial um, segregation and things that are going on in the school and the history of the city and the school system um, and black children in the school. So it's a really interesting documentary. I think everybody should see. But one of the things I've noticed is teachers wanting to be on camera. Um, so when you're working on your documentary, do you have any issues with teachers wanting to go on camera speaking about their trials and tribulations, working with the children, the parents, and the school system? Or do you find it's been easy to get teachers to come on camera? That's a great question. So I want to back up a little bit and talk um, just a little bit about America to me. Um, the, produ the film company that produced that, Cartemquin Films, um, is based here in Chicago, and they do a diverse voices and documentary fellowship every year for um, filmmakers of color who are producing films that deal with um, social issues, so social justice concerns. I had the pleasure in 2017 of being one of those fellows and being in this think tank with all these amazing producers, directors, um, Gordon Quinn as uh, you know, artistic director of Cartemquin, giving advice on how to get interviews, how to have access. So that was a great space to kind of incubate and think about some of the things that you're asking me about right now about teachers being on film. Um, surprisingly, that was not my problem. Um, I think teaching is such a kind of you go in your classroom and close the door type of 
profession and this kind of egg crate where you know down the hallway all teaching is going on in every room, but it's just you and the young people that you're serving. I think they were really um, excited to have an opportunity to be on camera and to talk openly and candidly about the things that they're experiencing. So um didn't have any shyness or hesitation um, with the teachers that I selected, which went from, you know, a young lady who is a pre-service teacher, not even in the classroom yet, all the way up to a 20-plus year veteran in our um, district. So everyone was definitely open and honest and reflective. And honestly, at every interview session that we did, you needed clinics like someone was bound to cry. If it was me, a crew member, a teacher, someone was definitely going to cry and have to take a break um, during the interview. So that just let me know that teachers are full of emotion and just looking for opportunities to get their stories out, be it film or video or writing, blogging. Like we just need more opportunities for people to share what they're doing, especially when they are working in what can be sometimes a very isolating profession. Got it. And the documentary is very powerful, and I want to see you continue, and I'm going to help you with that as well. So I want to move the question to Pamela. As far as your memoir, do you plan on publishing a part two? Do you plan on doing anything video related to the current memoir or something in the future? It's funny that you said that because um, I, I was literally having a conversation with someone yesterday, and um, I've been hearing a lot of people asking me about doing a part two. And in terms of material, I definitely have enough <laughs> uh, because the book has been out for a couple of years now, and I've had different experiences after that. And unfortunately, um, and, and, you know, with respect to some of the um, unfortunate things that I discussed in the book, that has not changed, even with, you know, a change in administration in schools. Um, you know, I, I'm starting to realize that no matter where I go, um, this there's going to be an issue. Um, because basically schools are just a microcosm of society in general. So just like we turn on the news and, you know, we might see lots of wonderful things happening, we constantly are faced against, you know, we, we, we constantly see the same issues, you know, happening in society um, with respect to, say, you know, let's say, for example, um, police brutality, um, you know, all these permit patties, which um, <laughs> I, you know, really have started to, those things are really starting to resonate with me because every time I see them on TV, it just reminds me of the permit patties that exist within our schools. Um, you know, calling authority for, for on children or of, on teachers of color for, you know, the most trivial reasons um, or being intimidating to teachers of color or to, to children. Um, so these things continue to happen. And um, like I said, there's really, and, and um, you know, we just discussed this earlier too, where there's like a situation where, teachers of color it's hard to retain them because and I think a lot of it has to do with issues like that um, so I definitely have enough material to talk about <laughs> the question is whether I want to continue um, talking about things that are happening within the schools while I'm still working in the schools 
um, because, you know, there's usually sometimes there's conflict of interest. You know, even with this with with this particular book, I had to have a waiver signed and there was a lot of drama um, surrounding me even being able to publish it in the first place. You know, it wasn't something like that was easy and just handed to me like, oh, yeah, you want to write a book? Sure. Um, you know, I had to really have uh, my publicist um, and the, you know, the, the press that I'm working with, the Fordham University and Oxford University Press, we had to have lawyers involved um, and have back and forth conversations just so that I can even get the book published because, I mean, you know, I'm not necessarily shining positive light necessarily on the things that are happening. So, of course, it's not going to uh, be given to me just so quite so easily. You know what I mean? Um, so I definitely have material. I'm just not sure if I want to write that while I'm still in the position that I'm in. Um, you know, for those of them that people that have written, uh, read the book, um, I end pretty much saying that I'm leaving. Actually, the story is kind of like a love story, the way that I wrote it. And when I started writing it, I had all intentions of leaving. But at the end of the day, I, I just couldn't leave the kids and I'm still here right now. I don't know how long that's going to last, but as far as it stands now, I'm still in the same, you know, I'm still teaching. So, you know, after, and I move on to something else, then I may think about writing a part two. All right. Sounds good. So let's move it on to Leticia with the uh, documentary that you're working on. Um, I know it's a work in progress. So where do you see yourself going with the documentary? Um, where I see myself going with the documentary is producing a five-part series um, that's digi digitally distributed. That was a mouthful early this morning. <laughs> and um, I want to make sure that all the stories that are presented um, are candid and raw and allow a viewer to really unpack what's needed um, to understand the problem of retention of black teachers in Chicago. And I think, honestly, that if you understand the problem here, um, it's applicable to other situations, be it, you know, a New York or L.A. Um, last night I was doing some Internet research and even see that this is an issue in Europe and London. Like, you know, we're having issues with recruiting and retaining black teachers. Um Immediate goals are really, you know, thinking about producing a pilot episode. There are a couple of teacher stories that are definitely, um, anytime anyone watches the preview, um, they talk about certain teachers. So definitely wanted to capture and take advantage of that momentum and capture those teachers in action. Um, and produce a pilot episode to be released in early 2019, maybe a 15-minute episode, um, as a film producer thinking about funding for this project, thinking about partnerships for this project, um, what does that look like? So I'm working with my very talented crew and producer and assistant to start to launch a social media campaign around the project that just kind of gives um, an introduction to teaching while black and understanding how we're defining that problem in Chicago. Um, not really a problem, we take that back, defining that opportunity to explore and build upon that in Chicago. Got it, so both of you guys mentioned 
about retaining teachers of color, black teachers. Um, what is the problem with that? Why are black teachers supposedly leaving the profession um, sooner or earlier than they should be, maybe not teaching all the way to retirement? Um, what is the issue with that? I'll throw that question to Pamela first. Well, you know, like I even said, I even, you know, thought about leaving myself, um, which is what prompted me to write the book in the first place. And I think um, any teacher, whether you're, you know, regardless of the color of your skin, it's a difficult profession. I mean, it's got so many great things about it, but it's a, it's probably, you know, in my opinion, one of the most difficult jobs there is, aside from, you know, motherhood. <laughs> um, and I think that especially when you're teaching um, in communities that are not being provided with adequate resources and have, you know, all these problems that no one's addressing, it just makes it even harder. So that's like the second double whammy. You know, teaching in general is hard. Teaching in these communities is especially hard. Then when you put on top of that, you know, someone who's a teacher of color, and in my case, someone who comes from the community, it's very personal. Not to say that if you're a white teacher, it can't be personal, but I, I just, you know, if you were try to tell me that you feel the same that I do, I would beg to differ with you. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not only, I'm not only black, but I'm from like not necessarily the same projects, but I come from Edenwell Projects in the Bronx. So when I've taught in other communities that have kids that come from Forest Projects, McKinley Projects, uh, Grant Projects in Harlem, those kids are me. And when I see them struggling, I see it in a different way than I think someone who comes from, like, Schenectady or Chappaqua or wherever they live, you know, kids, teachers that are coming from Westchester or what have you. Um, so it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's another level of heartbreak to experience the struggle that the kids are going through. That's one thing. But then on top of that, you have the, the bureaucracy that is really so imposing on teachers, all teachers. Um, where a lot of times we feel as though our hands are tied. Um, and I think that if you're someone, like in my, in my opinion, if you're black and you live in a world that does that to you already, I know for me I could say that it definitely gives me a level of angst that I don't think my fellow, um, you know, white teachers experience on the same level. I know that I've definitely felt that, you know, it's it's just so frustrating to have an administrator or, you know, in a lot of cases, teachers who are on the same level as me you, treat me as though they're my superior. And the only reason that I could see that is because they're white and they feel as though they have some level of something, like something up on me. Um, and, you know, I could say definitely that if there's another sister that's teaching with me, we definitely have had moments where we just give each other the eye. Like, did you see that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And constantly dealing with microaggressions and things like that, on top of the things that any teacher already has to deal with, it's very frustrating. So a lot of times, I, and, and even for myself, what I have to tell myself, tell myself just to even stay is to think about the kids because, if you're dealing with those microaggressions, those children are dealing with it too. And a lot of times they need us. They need us to be there more than anyone else to support them, to have their back when no one else does. So, so, so when you're in a classroom, um, do you find that a lot of the black teachers get the students who struggle more 
Um, they don't get the opportunity to teach the advanced classes and things like that. Um, how is it decided which children you teach, what classrooms you teach in? Right. Well, in elementary schools, at least in New York City, they don't typically track children anymore. And so all the classes are very um, mixed in terms of ability level. So we don't really have that experience. Um, but I think on a high school level, and I have heard, you know, like, for example, AP classes, I've heard teachers of color complain about that, where, you know, they give certain classes to the white teachers um, or stuff like that. But in my case, that hasn't really necessarily been the issue. Um, but I do know that even though there's mixed ability within the classes, a lot of times African-American teachers or black teachers in general are seen as the disciplinarians. So that could mean different things in different places. It could mean that they put them in the special education classes, or it could be that they're a general ed class, just like another teacher is a general ed class, but they put certain children in her classroom because they think she can handle him. <laughs> and there's been cases where, you know, classes have, you know, students within the class have been switched or um, because they feel as though, oh, well, I can't, I can't deal with him. You take him. But a lot of times the, the teachers are like, give him to me. If you can't handle him, I will. You know, if you can't love him, I will. You know, um, I had a, a kid in my class this year. Um, it, I wasn't given a child because I was a, a better disciplinarian. It just so happened that the teacher was a special education teacher and it was a self-contained class and this little girl was being mainstreamed into general ed. So they put her in my class with the other general ed kids. Um, and I was told to watch out for her because she was such a problem child. And I didn't have any problems with her, like at all. And all year I got, I can't believe you were able to handle her. What did you do? You're a, you're a magician. And it's like, no, I just loved her. I just loved her. And I just gave her a certain level of structure and support. And I also have a zero tolerance policy in my classroom. So she knew not to come at me with the foolishness. <laughs> but at the same time, she knew that I loved her. And because of that, relationship that I was able to build with her she was a different person in my classroom so you know a lot of times those kids are given to the teachers of color because they feel they can handle them but you know while some teachers may complain about that in my case I'm like bring them on <laughs> you know bring them to me because they need to be taught and they need to be loved excellent so Leticia same question with you and your experience um, why are we losing black teachers why is it hard to retain black teachers um, so I'm going to start, I think, at the beginning of the pathway to becoming a teacher and think about a high school student who's interested in education and entered their public university in their area in the teacher preparation program and the hurdles that he or she might experience in just getting into the College of Education passing the certification exams that allows them to be formally admitted to the program and start education classes and student teaching. So one of the young women that's featured in the docuseries, Melanie, that's her story. Like she has experienced a constant hurdle with even being formally admitted to the teacher preparation program because she is struggling with the math portion of the basic skills test. This is a young lady that is a product of the Chicago Public Schools and, you know, her education experiences have not, you know, she's very passionate about wanting to teach, but this is a hurdle that even prevents 
entry into where we prepare and train our teachers. Um, I'm going to go a little further along in the pathway and think about the new teachers, the um, young teachers that I've had the pleasure of supporting for a decade or so. Um, when you come into the teaching profession, you are very bright-eyed and optimistic, and you're excited about what's going to happen. And by October, you're just like, oh, boy, what have I gotten myself into? So we're not supporting people who enter the profession in a realistic way to be prepared for the complexities of urban teaching. Um, I've had instances where I've coached 30 beginning teachers in a school year, and by November, when they go home to their families and explain what's going on, they leave. And this actually, you know, this is something that happens. They go and they seek other opportunities because the working conditions are not what they expected and to be to support them to do the hard work that Pamela mentioned that teaching requires. Um, if you go a little further along in the pathway, you have seven to ten year teachers who are considered veterans. That's insanity to me. How can they be considered veterans? They're put into these <laughs> leadership positions in a school, and they're burnt out. You're asking them to, and if they're a black teacher, kind of going back to what Pamela mentioned, you know, they're seen as a disciplinarian, and we can't even begin to talk about the complexities of being a black male teacher in a building. Um, you're seen in all kind of ways that you might not want to be in those positions, especially if you're early in your career. Year seven is not a barrier. I mean, not a veteran. And these are barriers as well um, to thinking about, like, why do I even want to stay in this profession? You know, it's not financially lucrative. I'm trying to raise a family. Um, so you have people who are leaving the classroom maybe to go to other professions or seeking paid leadership opportunities um, at that point. I've talked to quite a few teachers who are in years three and four who are enrolling in principal preparation programs. Um, feedback from that has been very mixed because, again, in years three to seven, you're still mastering your craft as a teacher. Um, so those are just some of the things that can happen, like, individually with teachers. But then thinking about Chicago, um, Pamela mentioned earlier that schools are microcosms of cities and communities. Chicago is a very segregated city. We've had the pleasure of being able with Teaching While Black to interview some of the black education professors in the city. And David Stowall from um, the University of Illinois Chicago calls Chicago a hyper-segregated city. And it very much is. So if you have a hyper-segregated city, pretty much meaning with schools, you have schools that are all black, housing in, around the school that are all black, which means that the teaching staff are predominantly black. But then if you go back a few years and you think about what happened in Chicago, we had a situation where 50 schools were closed. And these schools were closed on the south and the west side of the city. These were predominantly black and brown communities. Who taught at these schools? Predominantly black and brown teachers who are now out of work because of school closures. So... It, it's a very interesting situation from a micro, micro level of thinking about what's happening as, for me as a teacher 
in my individual school building with individual students and administrators all the way up to a macro level of like how does the policies and initiatives of a city impact my ability to stay within this profession. So, you know, you have a variety of factors, poor working conditions, um, discriminatory hiring practices, um, school closures, barriers to entry for teacher preparation programs, all that contributes to the decline of black teachers in Chicago. So you mentioned the male black teacher. Um, What's going on with the male black teachers? Where they at? Is, is it that black males don't want to teach or they don't want to hire black males or black males teach and leave early? Like, what's the situation? You guys are in the classroom. I mean, I'm not a black male, so I can't I can't necessarily speak for them. Um, I just know that in elementary school, I mean, there's, again, with everything we discussed, there's probably a million factors for everything, right? Um, so I don't want to generalize and say this is the reason. Um, But just thinking about what potential reasons there could be, I know that there aren't really that many men in elementary school. I'm talking about elementary school because that's where I'm teaching right now. It's where I've taught most of my time. Um, But in elementary school, there's not that many men in general. And the thing I can think about that with is pretty much men are seen as uh, too strong maybe or too scary or something because they're they're not nurturers. You know, you know, which which is a stereotype, of course, right? Um, but if that's the the stereotype that we're going to go with, then you're not going to have that many men in general in an elementary school setting. So now put it together and put a black man on top of that. So if we think men are too scary. What do you think they think about black men in elementary school? I don't think it's so much that the black men are not trying to get into those schools. I think that schools don't want black men in general. Um, at least not in elementary school. Now, when you get to middle and high school, that's when you start seeing black men. That's when you start seeing men in general, because now they want them to be strong. They want them to. They want the disciplinarian factor, those type of things. But in elementary school, you typically don't see any men. Um, in most, at least in any of the schools that I've taught, and in schools that my friends have taught, in, that's not something that you see a lot of. And if you do see them, they're usually in, in administrative roles. They're not going to be a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> usually. So I think if we if we look at men as scary and, you know, non nurturing, then black men are really being looked at in that in that way even more. Um, so it's not something that people are necessarily when they're going out and looking for, you know, to hire people. I don't think the typical um, principal is trying to find a black man to come into their schools unless you're a principal who understands that black men are needed for our children. And I know a couple of black um, educators who are administrators who seek out black men because they understand that our black boys need them and our black girls need them. Um, But if you don't have that mindset, typically, I don't think they're even looking for them in the first place. So Letitia, what's your take on that in terms of black male teachers being involved in the school system and in the classroom? Oh, wow. Um, I am by no means a researcher or an expert, um, but through this 
development of this documentary. I had the pleasure of talking with experts with talk and reading tons of stuff. And the one thing that I can lift up from some of the expert interviews that I've done is the feminization of the teaching profession that happened mm-hmm. a long time ago. Um, teaching is a female-dominated profession. I do not have all the historical knowledge to say how that transition has happened um, over time, but it, that's typically what it is. And I personally feel that the salaries kind of reflect that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the pleasure of being able to find two male teachers to follow for this. I When I saw them in the buildings that I visited, I, and they work at the elementary level still, upper grade, so middle school, I was like, well, who are these black unicorns? Like, we are have this narrative out there that there are not enough black male teachers. Um, and then I walked into a building, and I, I kid you not, like the entire middle school upper grades here, because we don't have traditional middle schools here really in Chicago. So sixth, seventh, and eighth grade was all male teaching staff pretty much. And I'm just like, whoa, I must plant myself in the camera here. And in talking to them, they've definitely talked about their families and wanting to be able to provide for their families and aspiring to do other things that would possibly take them out of the classroom into more leadership roles. Um, And those decisions were attached to earnings for their families. So I think if you want to attract more quality candidates to teaching, period, not even just males, but, you know, definitely thinking about males if they're in a traditional family structure where they are expected to be providers, we have to think about how we compensate and reward teachers, um, especially if, you know, we're thinking about understaffed schools where we want more males to be, um, there just have to be some other ways that we think about attracting them and compensating them as well. Um, but I think it really just all goes back to the feminization um, of this profession. It's, you know, that's happened over time. So when you talk about the feminization, are you also speaking about black males being feminine in the classroom as well? That they don't, Pamela mentioned, you know, black men being big and scary. Um, are they looking for black men, that, black men that are more like feminine? No, that's definitely not what I'm talking about. I definitely want to clarify that. Just feminization of the teaching profession, meaning that Factors and policies started to change over time where the structures and the compensation was set up for single female to work. Um, If you go back and you think about some of the earlier schools, like there were single women who were teachers that lived with families and couldn't be seen, you know, outside of the school, just kind of wandering town. Like, these were the kind of things that were happening. Um, It was just geared towards, it was more women who taught. And again, I want to say I'm not a researcher, and this is an angle that I'm still unpacking. 
Um, so I'm going to put it there, pinning it there. I'm definitely not saying the feminization of black men in any way. I want to be clear about that. Got, got it. So I'm going to move on to Pamela. Um, when we talk about racism, right, that's the uh, structure of systems that are used from one group to oppress another. Um, do you see that in the educational system? specifically New York City public educational system, and how has that affected you personally in the classroom? Right, so absolutely. (laughs) Um, I think that is, you know, basically what my book is, you know, focused on in terms of, like, my struggle. Um, You know, yes, there's some things that I may have discussed that are other struggles, but the predominant struggle is the racism that, um, pervades educational systems, um, at least what I experienced. And from what I see, like, you know, I'm not from Chicago, but we see the news and we, you know, um, the teacher just discussed a little bit of that where, you know, the black and brown schools are the ones that are being shut down. Um, in our, in New York City, um, or at least in what I try to kind of focus on in the book is, um, like I said, the microcosms and individual case-by-case situations that I've experienced. Um, but systematically, if you look at that on a whole, let's think about all the white teachers that are being hired um, to teach in black and brown communities and are totally out of touch. You know, um, let's talk about the way that there are white teachers, usually typically women, because we said that we already discussed how, you know, it's already more, more women in this profession. Um, how white teachers who've only taught for a couple of years are able to move up and become um, leaders and become principals and administrators um, with little experience. And then <laughs> let's talk about how we have administrations who, you know, are you know white teachers who sometimes are even in their 20s still leading a group of veteran black teachers who've been teaching for 20-plus years, right? You know, these are things that you see often in um, in school settings across the country, um, and that's just one example. But I could give you so many examples of how, um, again, just seeing that microcosm of society happening on a smaller level within a school building or within a school district that, you know, you just are reminded every day that racism is alive and well. Um, another example, just to give you one, when you see that all the special ed children are black and brown, um, when you see that most of them are black boys, <laughs> um, and when you think about why children are placed in special education to begin, to begin with, and as I said, um, of course, there are some that need to be in special education, and I'm not saying that everyone that's placed in special education doesn't belong there, but I've, I have two licenses. I can teach special education, and I can teach general education, and I could tell you that when I first started, I started off, I was appointed as a special education teacher. When I first taught a general education class, I was surprised to see how many kids were just as low as the special education children. Um, So it's not like the kids that are being placed in special education necessarily need to be there because if their colleagues or not their colleagues, but if their, if their peers uh, are performing on the same level as them, why are they being placed there then? If they're, if they're able to perform and still be in general education, why is this black boy being placed in special education? 
you know, and when you think about it, some of the factors are that the teacher put him there. The teacher asked for an evaluation. So now we have to think about who's teaching him. And did that teacher give him a fair shot? You know, um, when you think about one of the reasons why a child is placed in special education is because of um, not just because of their learning disabilities, but because of their behavior. So when we start talking about behavior, now we need to think about, well, is that child really as misbehaved and as emotionally disturbed as they say, or is this from the perspective of the white teacher that placed him there? So, I mean, there's just so many factors that um, just, you know, constantly remind us that racism is alive and well in education. Um, And if I told you the more, we'd be here all day. (laughs) So definitely, definitely. So on a police force, they have a, a separate black union um, where black police officers are together to discuss issues that face them specifically and directly. Um, have black school teachers done something like that? Um, I haven't had any formal, um, but I've seen informally, like, you know, um, groups that come together to to kind of like help each other out or to discuss it. I'm sure there's something um, that I may not that I may not be aware of. Um, sometimes I'm kind of a lone wolf, so I'll be honest. I haven't necessarily looked into it myself. Um, but, you know, it, there's definitely spaces. Um, and and even, even things, I mean, I've even seen things as informal as on social media. There's, you know, black teachers rock and, you know, all these different um, groups that come together because we often feel like we need a community of our own just to be able to survive in this climate, um, especially with the things that are happening um, now, you know, under this presidency. Um, and you'd be surprised how many of those opinions flare up and in, in the things that you hear coming out of teachers' mouths or um, just attitudes changing even because of the particular climate that's, you know, happening right now. Um, so I think we commune as, as much as we can. And even within a school building, like if you have, um, you know, this, this, you know, a predominantly white um, school building, just like any other profession, by the way, like, you know, where you see that there's another sister there, like you guys want to get together and you want to kind of help each other and vent to one another because you need, like, you need a support system. Um, so, I mean, we need to probably get it together a little because even if I haven't looked into something, if it's not something that's like right, you know, glaring in my face, I would say it's not necessarily strong enough or the force is not big enough because otherwise I would have known about it um, without me having to look into it. So, I mean, I haven't seen um, anything that in terms of like, you know, a group of black people, black teachers, black educators coming together on a level that it needs to be, I think we have to do a lot better because the problems that are happening um, in terms of how black teachers are being treated, how black students are being treated, um, we definitely need to do better to try to make something, to make a bigger point or a bigger bigger issue about it. Um, I wrote a book, but that's just one book, you know, and there are other people that have written books. The teacher's writing, they're doing a documentary. But I, I would love to see us all come together in a in a, a stronger way. Yeah, I think if black teachers unified um, throughout the states, right. um, we have more progress and things would get done 
creating social media groups are, are cool for like emotional support and that kind of thing. But in terms of right. dictating policy and hiring and things like that, um, it's really going to take some legal action. Um, similar to Colin Kaepernick, mm-hmm. somebody just got to step up um, and make it happen. Right. So, Letitia, when we talk about racism, Absolutely. and I know you mentioned Chicago being really segregated, um, how does that affect you personally in your efforts in the classroom and outside of the classroom when you're working with educators? Um, how does it affect me personally? It's something that I always keep in mind. Um, when I go into schools to do work, um, when I walk buildings, I find myself starting to peer through classroom windows and starting to count. Um, that's kind of even how I started to think about the documentary. Like there was a high school building that I went in, um, on the North side of Chicago. And I just started to count how many black teachers were in classrooms. I didn't see any, but I saw parents professionals, I saw security staff, cafeteria staff. Um, and it's just something I always keep in mind um, when, when I'm working. And I also keep in mind that I never want to be the voice. Like I've been pulled often and asked questions and asked to do work where I could quickly tell like, oh, you want me to speak for all black teachers and all black people and all black people on the South side of Chicago. And I can't do that. Um, black people are not monolithic. We're multifaceted, multidimensional. Um, we come from a myriad of experiences. Um, it's just not one way. So that's something that I always um, keep in mind. I'm a lot like Pamela as I work and travel. If I see other onlys in a building or in an educational organization, I definitely extend an olive branch and try to form alliances um, with those people to kind of um, start those informal networks. Um, Chicago is an interesting place in that we do have a very active teaching unit. The Chicago Teacher Union, um, which was recently led by Karen Lewis, an amazing black educator and activist um, who recently stepped down um, due to health issues. She's the president emeritus of the Teachers Union. But they have a black caucus. They have an organized space for black teachers to come for that emotional support, but also to think about how to be strategic with some of the policy needs around black teachers um, in the city. So I have to say as I travel, just as Letitia, citizen of Chicago, to, you know, in an educator space or in a filmmaker space, I'm always um, thinking about race. And you can't, for me and my experience, you can't help but to think about it when you're in a city that is so segregated, like I, the neighborhood I currently live in. It's very segregated, but it's experiencing some shifts and some changes, um, which does bring other people, class, you know, differences as well as racial. But typically, you know, I, I travel my neighborhood and shop and eat with people who look like me. Um, and that's just been, you know, so when I step out of this out of this space and go into other spaces 
it's it's startling because you notice that you might be one of the only people. Got it. Um, black people, people of color. Yeah. Got it. So, Pamela, what's next for you? You wrote one memoir. You're thinking about a second one. You say you have material for a second one. Um, are you looking at spe- speaking engagements as well? And are you thinking about leaving a classroom and doing something different? Right. So I tried for literally a year to do something different, um, which is just coaching. And not to say I would never do it again, but I chose to go back into the classroom this past year um, because I realized that I've had more experiences, as I said, where I felt as though because I was black, I was treated a certain way. Um, and when you're dealing, like, when, when you're a coach, for example, you have to deal with more adults, <laughs> obviously. So I'm used to being able to just go into the classroom and deal with my children. And children are innocent. Children are beautiful. Um, and I'm working in the community, so I'm working with black and brown children. Um, I feel safe. I feel comfortable. Um, going into outside, within the profession, but outside of the classroom, means that I have to deal with teachers, those teachers being teachers who are not necessarily of color, administrators who are not necessarily of color. And it's um, the issues are even more blaring. Um, so I made the decision to go back into the classroom for now because it's a safe space for me. Um, and I would ultimately like to open up my own school, preferably not within the Department of Education, because I feel then I would still be being controlled, and that's not necessarily something I'm interested in. Um, But my ultimate goal is to open up my own school, um, an Afrocentric school for black and brown children um, that teaches them not just the things that we already teach them curriculum-wise, but to go beyond that and teach them things that they need growing up as an African-American or as a black or brown child living in America in the America that we experience and that we live and we suffer and we struggle through but still thrive, um, I think that we need to give our children more, um, aside from the obvious, which is that uh, our curriculum doesn't necessarily stress some of the things that, even when we think about history, like the history of our people is not explained and um, is not studied, um, or the, the way in which... Um, even things that did happen, like slavery, the way slavery is just told very matter-of-factly as opposed to being inspiring and life-altering, there's a certain way that I would like to teach my students, our students, um, and I don't think that that's necessarily going to be done fully the way I would like to as long as I'm teaching within this Department of Education. So ultimately, that's where I, I want to look into in terms of trying to open up my own school. And um, where can people and buy I your write, book? You know, I'm a writer. Where can I'm people sorry. buy your book? Say that again. Where can people purchase you your book? You can buy it on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble. It's in different college bookstores across the country. But the easiest place would be for um, you to just go online. And get 90 it. seconds. Got it. And one minute left. Um, Leticia, what's next for you in terms of the documentary? Um, What's next is that we are in production for a pilot episode that we are looking to release in early 2019. Also, coupled with that, we will start a crowdfunding campaign for Teaching While Black. 
in the meanwhile, we are building our social media presence and sixty seconds Facebook, Instagram and Twitter under Teaching Wild Black. And also you can see the preview at on our social media sites or you can check out the preview on Vimeo under Teaching Wild Black. Excellent. Thank you, ladies, for joining the broadcast. I really appreciate it. I'm going to send out some some social media posts regarding the book and the documentary. And once you have the crowdfunding ready, let me know so I can post that out. As always, tune in to the Black Pill Radio show. You can go to blackpillradio.com to see some of the episodes. We also have uh, video lessons from different black professionals who are preaching and teaching about different things that you guys need to learn and know through video. So definitely check us out. As always, every first and third Sunday of the month from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we are live. Thank you, ladies. Ten seconds. And we will Thank see you. you guys in two weeks. Thank you.